It's Christmas! Well, tonight, thank God it's there instead of you. Oh, Christmas Day, my ass. I'm driving home for Christmas. Oh, I can't wait to see those faces. Christmas to you and all. It's Christmas! Well, it's super close to Christmas, as this is our 2nd December episode, and my 40th episode in total, and the time, as always, is flying by. We've had a real snap of cold weather in the UK, with many places seeing a little bit of snow. No in my town, unfortunately. A bit of sleet, and a lot of ice, but no snow. Not quite a winter wonderland, but a very cold one still. I've been eating my annual Christmas sandwich, packed full and weighed down to compress all that tasty, festive goodness. I even took a little pot of gravy for extra special dipping in my lunch at work. I have the Christmas Radio Times, I've been highlighting and planning. There's lots of exciting stuff on this year, and my list is getting longer and longer. There's Christmas specials from one of the best recent British sitcoms, Ghosts, as well as Inside Number 9, Garn Fishing, The Bake Off, and The Detectorists, which is back on our screens after leaving in 2017. There's also A Christmas Ghost Story from Mark Gattis, and the same man is appearing in a film stage version of A Christmas Carol as the ghost of Jacob Marley. Back to this episode though, and I'll discuss a Christmas song from a Beatle, the tasty world and history of Christmas puds, a festive special from Alan Partridge, and perhaps a Christmas poetry reading about Mrs Scrooge. Back in 91 on BBC Radio 4, Steve Coogan appeared on a spoof current affairs show called On The Hour as a sports presenter called Alan Partridge, a hapless but boastful buffoon co-created with producer Armando Iannucci, who would go on to produce shows starring this seemingly odd little character. This included a TV spoof news programme called The Day Today, as well as a fake chat show called Knowing Me, Knowing You, another sitcom called I'm Alan Partridge, and a fake lifestyle show called This Time most recently. The character of Alan Partridge has also done podcasts, books and a film called Alpha Papa which is very very funny. But Steve Coogan started his comedy career on stage as a working class Mancunian character called Paul Calf and doing voices on the satirical puppet show Spitting Image before Alan Partridge helped his rise to fame. He's also appeared in movies such as Tropic Thunder, The Other Guys and Philomena which he co-wrote and produced earning a BAFTA, a Golden Globe and Oscar nominations. But his fake chat show, Knowing Me, Knowing You, ran for one season in 1994 and is named after the character's catchphrase and, of course, the ABBA song.
1995 it got a Christmas special on December 29th titled Knowing Me, Knowing Yule. The show takes off the celeb chat show of the 90s with celebrity guests, although all actors playing roles of course, along with songs or bits from the host. The Christmas special takes all of this to the next level in disastrous and hilarious ways. It begins with a choir boy outside with Alan, who sets up a festive vibe. Knowing me, knowing you, aha, there is nothing we can do, knowing me, knowing you. Aha. What is Christmas? It's a little robin redbreast, petrified by the wind. It's an orphan in a blanket, being helped into a shed. And it's a snowman, whose nose carrot has been stolen and subsequently eaten by a gypsy thief. But more than that, it's me, Stanley, three stunning hostesses, some Santa chat and quality poultry, i.e. knowing me knowing Yule with Alan Partridge. I bid ye good tidings. Now. Alan tells us about the setting and that we are... Tonight's show is coming live from BBC Television Centre, where we've built an exact replica reproduction of the interior of my house. Please, don't take that as a green light to go to Norwich and burgle my actual house. As, as happened during my television series six times. Because sitting at my home right now are two men from Securicore, Mike and Ted, with their two Alsatians, Tintin and Pickles. So, uh, if anyone out there is thinking of burgling me, then don't bother. No, in fact, do. Have a go. Because, because, quite frankly, you'll be picking up your teeth with a broken arm. We meet some bell ringers, including Mary, played by the wonderful Rebecca Front of The Thick of It and Lewis. Christmas, I imagine, a very busy time for bell ringers? Yeah, it is. It's very busy, but it's lovely for us to be able to celebrate through bell ringing the birth of Jesus Christ, our Saviour. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's nice to have you on the show. Thank you. It's nice right. to... Sorry. No, carry on, sorry. No, I was just going to say, it's nice to be on a television show that's not all about, you know, swearing and child pornography. <laughs> Have you seen Noel's House Party? Yes. That's the kind of show this is. Keep it light. Right? <laughs> Have you had a mince pie? No. Have a mince pie. I, I was just saying... Have a mince pie. <laughs> Another guest is bawdy TV chef Fanny Thomas, played by Kevin Eldon. A hilarious TV comedian from Brass Eye, Big Train and the movie Hot Fuzz. Alan, you've caught me with my hand wrapped around an enormous chopper. Oh, pardon! <laughs> She's outrageous. <laughs> K-M-A-P-K-Y-F-T, aha. You what? I'm, I'm saying knowing me, Alan Partridge, knowing you, Fanny Thomas, aha. What for? I'm, I'm just trying to save time. We worked out during my last TV series that we wasted two minutes during every show um, saying my catchphrase, so... Why don't you cut the catchphrase, then? Can't do that. I mean, that, that'd be like JFK not saying it could be nine Berliner. He only said that once. Yeah, look what happened to him. We also have the chief commissioning editor of the BBC, Tony Hares, played by David Schneider, who holds the future of Alan Partridge's BBC career in his hands. Um, Tony, uh, welcome to the show. Before you came to the BBC, you were chairman of Euro International Airlines, and whilst you were there, you sacked over 2,000 people. Will you be doing the same at the BBC? Well, I, I don't know about that, Alan, but uh, if, I, if I can borrow uh, an image from your very wonderful musical opening there, I, I hope to ring some changes. My show is your bell. Please, please, peel it. Peel, peel my bell. 
And Alan quickly makes it awkward, of course. You can axe any show you like, as long as you tell me I'm going to get a second series. Please, please tell me I've got a second series, boss. <laughs> <laughs> do, do, do you want to do that? Just, just, just to clear the air? I know this is not really the, the, the time. No, it's, I, it's not really the, the time, no. No, you're absolutely right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. For, I put you on the spot there. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm embarrassed you. Everyone's embarrassed. It's gone. It's gone. What's gone? <laughs> that moment. The moment's gone. Oh, good. I thought you meant the second series. <laughs> now, um... They also discuss moral standards at the BBC, and the bell ringer, Mary, gets pulled into the conversation to the annoyance of Alan. I'd like to ask Mr. Hares why he allows um, on How did the this BBC. Happen? What? Nothing, carry on. Um, yeah, I'd like to ask Mr. Hares why he allows on the BBC the graphic depiction of, of such sordid practices as swearing, fighting, masturbation. Uh, listen, love, sorry, if, if you're going to talk about the subject, can you just avoid using, using that word? Masturbation? Yes, that's the one. <laughs> Well, I do object to the graphic depiction of onanism. What's onanism? <laughs> it's masturbation. <laughs> Thank you. And then they all get confused about the idea of God, too. Do you believe in God, Alan? Yes. What is he? God is... Uh, a, a gas. <laughs> what does that mean? Well, you know, I mean, he's not a small guy. He's not like, sort of... Calagas, or something—it's something big, you know, like like like, like oxygen or um, or carbon dioxide. No, that's that's bad, isn't it? No, that's the devil. Um, I don't really want to get bogged down in this because I haven't thought it through um, quite, quite as much as I, I wish I had. Um, oh look, there's someone at the door. Is there? Yes, there is. There's someone at the door. But a visit from Santa allows him to escape the conversation, and Santa is someone else known to Alan. Father Christmas is, in actual fact, none other than Mike Taylor of the Norfolk Rover Dealer Network. Mike, thanks very much. Thanks very much for being Father Christmas. Thank you. It's a pleasure, Alan. Mike, I, I heard recently that um, Norfolk Rover are offering 0% finance on selected models this season. Is that true? Well, that's absolutely true, Alan. The snowy weather has enabled us to freeze the prices on the whole of the Rover 600 series. Right. But, Alan, I understand you have a Rover Vitesse Fastback. Yes, I do. And what is it you particularly like about it? Well, apart from the walnut and leather interior, which <laughs> I think really does give it luxury car status, the thing that impressed me most was the overall economy. I mean, 38.4 miles to the gallon at a constant 56 miles an hour, I think makes it a class leader. That's absolutely right. We cut away to a segment called Christmas in Norwich, where we see him talk about what he gets up to when helping at a local hospital. I'm Alan Partridge. I love kids. The things they say. There you go. Right, let's have a, a toy. Second hand, but it's in quite good condition. Um, I mean, basically, it's shop soiled, you know, but um, it is, it is. I mean, as you see, it's still in pretty good condition. There's nothing technically wrong with it. Has anyone watched my show? Knowing me, knowing you, with Alan Partridge? No? No? No. No, no one knows it? Has anyone never heard of me? No. Right. It's very rude to say that, actually. <laughs> And back in the studio, Alan is still getting annoyed by the bell ringer, Mary. Sorry, can I just interrupt you there? Um, <clears throat> Mary, can I ask you to eat less noisily? <laughs> I, I'm not being rude, but if I... If I hold my microphone close to your mouth... Now, chew. Yeah, you see, now, that, that's what people are hearing at home, you see? I'm, I'm not being rude, it's just that you, you sound like a pig. <laughs> 
And even more awkwardly, the commissioning editor reveals what he will be focusing on at the BBC in the coming year. Yes, uh, there are other things apart from the catering that I will be looking into. Um, for example, um, product placement. What's product placement? It's when a presenter abuses his or her position to um, advertise a specific product. <laughs> I see that as a severe breach of contract and um, it'll be punished with instant dismissal. Ho, ho, ho! Merry Christmas, Tony! Oh, right. Ho, ho! Present, thank you. Don't open that now. Lovely. Don't open that now. What is it? Um, oh. It's a rover. <laughs> The next guests are a pair of unusual golfers with an interesting story. Liz and Gordon Heron, playing by Dune McKitchen of Smack the Pony and Toast of London, and Patrick Barber. KMAP, KY, Gordon and Liz Heron. Aha. Aha. It's <laughs> a nice laugh. So sounds a bit like a big bird, doesn't it? It, re it really does. <laughs> now, uh, as I said, your story is a Christmas fairy tale, isn't it? You're Gordon Hansel and Liz Gretel. <laughs> Allow me, if you will, to be Hans Christian Allen Partisan. And their conversation takes some odd turns. Gordon, you were robbed of the use of your legs. Um, in a sense, you were a victim of a leg thief. <laughs> if you could speak to that leg thief now, what would you say? I suppose I'd say to him, uh, you know, why didn't you pick on someone who had more legs than they need? <laughs> a centipede. <laughs> exactly, a centipede with 98 legs could still get about. What about a millipede? Millipede's got a million legs. No, a thousand. What's got a million legs then? A thousand millipedes. <laughs> and Alan gets into Doctor Who territory accidentally. In the past, you know, before the... Uh, <laughs> You, you, I mean, do, what I mean is, you know, do you still have an eye for the fairer sex? Oh, yes. Yeah. Still chase the ladies, but I'll stop when they get to the stairs. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so, but like a Dalek. <laughs> Can't go up the stairs. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not comparing you, I'm not comparing you to a Dalek. You're, you're, you're more like Davros, the leader of the Daleks. So half, half human, half Dalek. I'm sorry, I'm deeply sorry. I, just, I, I, I mean, I'm sorry. And Liz makes an announcement. Oh, that's me. I'm pregnant. Ladies and gentlemen, in five months, I shall be giving birth to a little baby heron. <laughs> Not literally. That would be hideous. <laughs> but, uh, congratulations. Congratulations. Yeah. I used to say she caddied me clubs. Now I say she's caddying me baby. <laughs> well, congratulations and, and best wishes to both of you. And a, and a special congratulations to, to you, Gordon. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? I'm just, I'm just saying, you know, well done. After this interview, Alan tries to break a record by pulling the biggest Christmas cracker in the world, but as with most partridge things, disaster soon strikes. Inside the cracker is a kidney dialysis machine. If we break the world record, the dialysis machine will be winging its way to the Royal Children's Hospital in Norwich, and here to pull the cracker are the Royal Plymouth Sea Cadets. <laughs> We were going to have Zola Budd to blow the whistle. She can't do that, obviously. So, Gordon, perhaps you'd like to join me and blow the whistle instead. In your own time, on your marks, get set. The force required to split the cracker is the equivalent of a Land Rover winching a small sapling up from its roots. It's... Oh, that no, right! The, the cracker's on fire! Abort the pole! Abort the pole! Get Gordon! Where, where, where's the fire 
extinguisher. It's under your chair. It's under the chair. It's under my chair. It's under his chair. Santa turns up again, but Alan doesn't want him to get in trouble with the BBC for the product placement issues. Shall I do the joke, Ellen? Um, no, don't do the joke, Father Christmas. Yeah, go on, Father Christmas. Give us all a giggle. <laughs> what make of car goes woof woof? Is it a rover? Uh, Mike, please. Mike, Mike, Mike please. H help me out here, please. Please. No, it's not a rover. It's a... a Vauxhall Labrador. <laughs> oh, hilarious. There's no such car. Yeah, yes, there is. My dad had one in the 60s. We had great times in the Vauxhall Labrador. <laughs> right, can we clear this up? And more festive chat goes badly for Partridge. How much does a Dallas's machine cost? <sighs> About £20,000. Oh. And how much does this programme cost? That's none of your business. That's confidential information. £300,000. Th that, that's correct, yeah. <laughs> so you could have got 14 dialysis machines instead of making this program i think if you asked the british public whether they would prefer 14 kidney dialysis machines or an alan partridge christmas special the answer would be pretty unanimous wouldn't it tony yes i think it would <laughs> and uh, thanks uh, thanks everyone for a very entertaining breakfast bar chat so the host then starts a song of the 12 days of christmas with live actors in the bird rolls which again of course goes wrong thanks to the giant broken cracker in the way Turtle doves and a partridge in a pear tree. That's me. On the third day of Christmas, my true love gave to me three French hens, two this turtle been moved. doves, and a partridge in a pear tree. This should have been moved. Can we? On the fourth day of Christmas, my true love gave to me can we, four calling birds. Can we stop? Just cut the music. This is we can't do this. Turtle doves and a partridge in a pear tree. Keep flapping. It looks good. I've got you there, I've got you there. I'm just going to this turtle dove down. I'm sorry, this is the French, French hens. Um, are you all right there? Come away. Yeah, you don't have to flap anymore, love. It's OK. Come down. I just want to keep you away from the dialysis machine. I don't want you to damage it. Uh, just, uh, sort of go back to the supplies. Uh, this, this really should have been cleared. It should, that should have been cleared. Um, and things continue to get out of hand with Fanny's cooking tips and double entendres. No, I'm not talking about your finger. Oh, pardon. I, I'm not, I am not aroused. Mmm, he thinks the lady does protest too much. Oh, put a cork in it. Oh, well, I tried it, but it doesn't help. Knock it on the head. Ooh, I didn't know you were into the rough stuff. Honestly, it's enough to make a girl blush. Yeah, you're not a girl. You're not a girl, are you? Your name's Peter Willis. You're a failed disc jockey who dresses up as a woman for cheap laughs. Right. This is Peter, right? Now, what do you want? Do you want Peter or do you want Fanny? Uh, fa Fanny, I want Fanny. <laughs> now, I think you pulled out too soon. Go on, pop it back in. That's right. And Alan gets pretty angry pretty quickly. Oi, Alan, what do you do for an encore? Shag a robin? <laughs> Sorry, I'm sorry. I, I, I need help. I'll get help. And then accidentally hits the commissioning editor in the face with an uncooked bird on his hand. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. Listen, my, my wife left me on Christmas Eve. I, I spent Christmas Day all on my own here. Well, not here. This is a mock-up. <laughs> this is a disgrace. I'm going to make sure you never, never work on television again. Please, please don't take my chat away from me. <laughs> is, is, is there anything I can say or do that will make you change your mind? No. Oh. Do you want some, eh? I'm hungry. I'm 
Mrs. Potter, do you want some big bird? Hey? And randomly and oddly, Mick Hucknall of Simply Red appears at the end to sing out the show while Alan ponders his lack of a BBC future silently. Ding dong merrily on high, in heaven the bells are ringing. Ding dong merrily the sky is riven with angels singing. Gloria, Hosanna in excelsis. Alan Partridge is such a well-crafted character that's still as powerful as he ever was, as seen in the most recent BBC show and film. Steve Coogan embodies this awkward, vain, selfish, hilarious man so well, and yet creates humour from the horror. It's one of my must-watches every Christmas. The mixture of guests and the descent into chaos is so perfectly weighted to make it seem kind of festive and fun at first. As more and more people turn against Alan on his own show, it becomes even more hilarious and ridiculous. I only wish Alan had made another festive appearance over the years with another one of his shows or specials or something. Maybe there's still time. We interrupt this podcast about Christmas to tell you about another podcast about Christmas. It's the Advent Calendar House, a salute to all holiday specials, but mostly the Christmas ones. Count down to Christmas Eve with a new episode every other day in December about a different holiday show. From the must-watch classics to the lost treasures at the bottom of the DVD bargain bin. Learn the answers to questions nobody asked, like, when is a magic hat you throw away no longer yours? How many Muppets can fit inside a farmhouse? How did cavemen know about Christmas? Why is Elf making me cry? Subscribe now at adventcalendar.house and get 12 episodes every December. But that's not all. You'll also get 12 more episodes during Christmas in July. Why am I talking like a car salesman? It's a free podcast. It's the Advent Calendar House, a podcast on the internet. It's the Advent Calendar House. When I was a kid, I wasn't a big fan of Christmas pudding. It seemed unwieldy and hefty and a little too stodgy, but then I tried it again as a young adult and realised there was something in this old-fashioned pud. A pudding of a similar style and kind goes back to medieval times. Bag pudding was French Malay. It had the great merit of not needing to be cooked in an oven, something most lower-class households did not have. Christmas pudding predecessors often contained meat, as well as sweet ingredients, and prior to being steamed in a cloth, the ingredients may have been stuffed into the gut or stomach of an animal. As preserving meat methods became more common in the Victorian age and sweet treats became more in vogue and affordable, sweet puddings became more of the focus. Dried fruit and sugar were added to puddings, becoming the dessert we refer to now as plum pudding. The association with Christmas is said to go back to a custom in medieval England that the pudding should be made on the 25th Sunday after Trinity. Prepared with 13 ingredients to represent Christ and the 12 apostles, and that every family member stir it in turn from east to west to honour the Magi in their journey in that direction. We're not sure if this myth is true though, because recipes for plum pudding appear mainly if not entirely in the 17th century and later. One of the earliest plum pudding recipes is given by Mary Kettleby in her 1714 book, a collection of above 300 receipts in cookery, physic and surgery. In the 1830s the pudding we know as Christmas pudding contained flour, fruits, suet, sugar and spices topped with holly, and it became commonly associated with Christmas. The East Sussex cook Eliza Acton was the first to refer to it as Christmas pudding in her best-selling 1845 book, Modern Cookery for Private Families. Victorian style was to put the batter in a basin and steam it for many, many hours. It used to be a tradition to serve it immediately, 
but this changed as years went on, becoming a dish to make, cool and reheat when serving to allow for flavour maturing of the spices and the potential alcoholic content. The most common way of decorating and serving aside from the holly on top is brandy, lit to create a beautiful burning blue flame on the pud. Different things can be served with it including brandy butter, rum butter, cream, ice cream or custard. I prefer a bit of custard but I'll take anything really. During the depression and world wars recipes were often altered to fit with rationing and cost saving. This included missing out eggs in the mixture or using cold tea for flavour instead of brandy. Another old tradition was putting small coins into the mix to be kept by whoever has the helping with the coins inside. This has changed over the years with different families to include a tiny wishbone to bring good luck, a silver thimble for thrift, or an anchor to symbolise safe harbour. There's a great video from the English Heritage about how to make a Victorian Christmas pudding with the ingredients read out for us by Mrs Slocum. Merry Christmas! I'm about to make the plum pudding. This is one of my favourite recipes from Eliza Acton's Modern Cookery. I have quite a few of her recipes in my cookbook because, well, she's very, very good. I understand she was the first person to call plum pudding Christmas pudding. For this recipe, you will need flour, breadcrumbs, suet, raisins, currants, apple, sugar, candied peel, mixed spice, salt, brandy, and eggs. I'll put the link below in the show notes so you can watch the whole thing. I want to finish this section with a reading of a Christmas carol. When the ghost of Christmas present shows Scrooge the Cratchit family's Christmas dinner, and despite their poverty, they still have a Christmas pud and a very excited but nervous for it to arrive on their dinner table. Mrs Cratchit left the room alone, too nervous to bear witnesses, to take the pudding up and bring it in. Hallo! A great deal of steam! The pudding was out of the copper which smells like a washing day. That was the cloth. A smell like an eating house and a pastry cook's next door to each other, with a laundress's next door to that. That was the pudding. In half a minute, Mrs Cratchit entered, flushed but smiling proudly, with the pudding like a speckled cannonball, so hard and firm, blazing in half of half a quarter of ignited brandy and bedight with Christmas holly stuck into the top. Oh, a wonderful pudding, Bob Cratchit said, and calmly too, that he regarded it as the greatest success achieved by Mrs Cratchit since their marriage. Mrs Cratchit said that now the weight was off her mind, she would confess she had her doubts about the quantity of flour. Everybody had something to say about it, but nobody said or thought it was at all a small pudding for a large family. It would have been flat heresy to do so. Nothing gets you in the mood for Christmas like a great holiday song. 
All those great memories of Christmases past come flooding in when you hear those sleigh bells, jingle bells, silver bells. It's a very bell-heavy genre. But there's one specific song I'd like you to remember this holiday season. Kelly Clarkson's Underneath the Tree. Underneath the tree, Underneath the Tree is the rare Christmas song that, as you kids say, slaps. It's a straight-up bop. It deserves to be right up there with the other Christmas classics we hear every year. But that's up to us. We gotta show Underneath the Tree some love this holiday season. Download it. Stream it. Call your local radio station and request it. Do people still do that? <laughs> Great. If we work together, we can make Underneath the Tree as popular as that other ubiquitous holiday song from Mariah Carey. Which, no shade to Miss Carey, but there's plenty of room for more great holiday music. Don't believe me? Just look underneath the tree. The Beatles were pretty damn big, but they only existed as a band for a decade, with the music released during this period changing pop and rock forever. Afterwards, they each went on to their own things, whether that was more singing and songwriting, activism, or becoming a voice of kids' TV. John Lennon continued to make music at first with his wife Yoko Ono, forming the Plastic Ono Band, as well as recording solo stuff. He wrote some brilliant music, without the other Liverpudlians, including Instant Karma, Karma's gonna get you Gonna knock you right on the head You better get yourself together Pretty soon you're gonna be dead What in the world are you thinking of? And imagine with other artists such as Elton John and David Bowie, as well as becoming an activist for peace and a vocal critic of the Vietnam War, living in New York and taking part in protests, and a famous bed-in at hotels in 1969. He then went on a musical hiatus for five years in the 70s, before coming back with Double Fantasy in 1980, with songs such as The Beautiful Swoon of Woman. Woman, I can hardly express Tragically, his genius was cut short, three weeks after the album came out, by Mark David Chapman, an obsessed fan who shot him outside the Dakota Hotel. He wasn't a perfect individual though, with accusations of domestic abuse and violence in his life being made by various people close to him, but we can still state that he was a musical genius. And this music lives on. And this is a Christmas podcast, remember, 
So we need to go back to 1971, when Lennon and Yoko Ono decided to release a song to capture their activism ideals. They launched a campaign in December 1969 with billboards across the major US cities stating war is over, if you want it. Happy Christmas from John and Yoko. And what have you done? Another year over And a new one just begun And so this is Christmas But after Imagine, he realised the power of music in sending a message. That to get a message working in the public, you must put your political message across with a little honey. He recorded an acoustic demo in the St Regis Hotel in October 71 with Ono as co-writer, although we don't know how much he actually contributed. Lennon brought in the now controversial producer Phil Spector for the recording, a legend of festive sound thanks to his wall of sound style, especially on the 1963 Christmas gift records with the likes of Darlene Love and the Renettes. On 28th of October, in Record Plant Studio, New York, they laid down most of the track. A few days later, on Halloween, 31st of October, the Harlem Community Choir with 30 kids visited the studio to record the backing vocals. A photo for the sleeve was taken during this recording by Ian McMillan, who'd previously worked with the Beatles and Yoko Ono taking the famous Abbey Road cover photo. The duo also recorded a B-side that is less known called Listen, The Snow Is Falling. Happy Christmas War is Over, many, myself included, for many years believe the pair whisper Happy Christmas to each other. In fact, they are saying Merry Christmas to their kids, Kyoko and Julian. Listen carefully. Happy Christmas, Kyoko. Happy Christmas, Julian. The single came out on the 1st of December 1971, but didn't do that well in the US, only getting to number 36 on the charts. However, it did better in the UK when released at the end of November the following year, 1972, when it got to number 4. It also hit number two in the charts following his death at the end of 1980. It's since become a festive standard, being voted the 10th best Christmas song in an ITV poll. It's been covered loads, but I want to share a variety of different and interesting covers, starting with the Queen of Soul, Diana Ross, the famed Motown star and former Supreme who put out a great Christmas record, A Very Special Season, in 94. It had a bunch of covers, including this take on Lennon's song with an interesting opening. Hope you have 
For a different take on the song, let's check out Boy George and Anoni, formerly known as Anthony Hegarty, when this cover was released. Boy George is of course the 80s superstar from Culture Club, and Anoni is a singer-songwriter whose second album, under the artist name Anthony and the Johnsons, called I Am A Bird Now, I absolutely adored. It won the UK Mercury Prize in 2005, and I love the high and haunting vocals. They bring that same atmosphere to this cover, which was recorded and released for a charity record called Help A Day In The Life In Aid Of War Child, a charity that supported humanitarian aid in war-torn countries such as Bosnia and Herzegovina. At the end of the first side appears this cover. Very Merry Christmas And a Happy New Year Let's hope it's a good one Without any fear And so this is Christmas For weak and forward strong For rich and for poor Skipping down under to talk about Australian singer-songwriters Alex Cameron and Jack Ladder, who recorded a cover in 2018 for a compilation with Valentine Records. This was also for charity, with the proceeds going to help wildfire relief. The yellow and red ones Let's stop all the fights A very Merry Christmas Happy New Year Let's hope it's a good one Without any about a very odd version from a musician called Jerick Bischoff, a composer who's worked with the likes of the Pacific Northwest Ballet, the Kronos Quartet and the BBC Symphony Orchestra. He's also released music with alternative musicians such as Amanda Palmer and Parenthetical Girls. He put out an odd festive EP in 2017 called Chestnuts Roasting on an Open Fire Walk With Me. For those that know, this is a Twin Peaks reference. We sadly lost the Twin Peaks composer and Lynch collaborator Angelo Badalamenti this month. I love Twin Peaks and his strange sounds, and Bischoff used this style of music to cover Christmas classics including War Is Over. Finally, in 2018, Miley Cyrus and Mark Ronson teamed up to record a cover of the song, as well as performing it on Saturday Night Live. But more interesting and sweet than just their take is that the song included Sean Ono Lennon, the son of the original artists. I hope you 
Before I leave you until next year, I also need to announce the winner of our Ghost of Christmas Present World Cup. In the semi-finals, we had two showdowns between Mickey's Christmas Carol with Willie the Giant as the ghost versus the 1984 Christmas Carol with Edward Woodward. And to my surprise, the Disney powerhouse was knocked out, leaving Edward Woodward, a very authentic and convincing looking spirit, as the winner. In the second semi-final, we had Michael Gambon in an animated 2001 Christmas Carol against Kenneth Moore in the 1970 musical one, one of my favourites, and again I was a bit surprised it made it this far, and I was even more surprised that it managed to defeat Michael Gambon and go through to the final. So this meant a final of Edward Woodward from 1984 against Kenneth Moore from 1970. And the winner of the Ghost of Christmas Present World Cup goes to Edward Woodward, who pretty much trounced Kenneth Moore in the final, um, much to my disappointment with Kenneth Moore being my favourite. I think a lot of people enjoyed Edward Woodward's realistic portrayal uh, that was a good mix of jolly and also creepy grittiness as well. Um, he is a BAFTA winning and I think Golden Globe winning um, actor, but I think that this award as the best Ghost of Christmas Present is the one that he's been waiting for. And so our winner of the Ghost of Christmas Present is Edward Woodward in 1984's Christmas Carol. And I'll put a little clip in of him uh, now for you to check out. And if you haven't seen that version, I would recommend it. It is a very good version of the story. Tell me, spirit, will he live? I see a vacant place at this table. I see a crutch without an owner, carefully preserved. If these shadows remain unaltered by the future, the child will die. No. No, say he will be spared. If these shadows remain unaltered by the future, none other of my species will find him here. But if he is to die, then let him die and decrease the surplus population. You use my own words against me. So perhaps in the future, you will hold your tongue until you have discovered what the surplus population is and where it is. It may well be that in the sight of heaven you are more worthless and less fit to live than millions like this poor man's child. One last thing for me today is that I'd like to read you a little story poem thing from the brilliant Caroline Duffy. She was the poet laureate for many years and writes some brilliant and hilarious poetry including this one called Mrs Scrooge. It was written in 2008 for The Guardian and is a satire on the credit crunch wrapped around a tale of Scrooge's widow left alone. Scrooge, doornail dead. His widow, Mrs Scrooge, lived by herself in London town. It was that time of year, the clock's long back, when shops were window dressed with unsold tinsel, trinkets, toys, trivial pursuits with sequin dresses and designer suits, with chocolates, glacé fruits and marzipan, with Barbie, Action man with bubble bath and aftershave and shower gel. The words Noel and season greetings brightly mute in neon lights. The city bells had only just chimed three, but it was dusk already. It had not been light all day. Mrs Scrooge sat googling at her desk. Cratchit the cat curled at her feet. 
snowflakes tumbling to the ground below the window where a robin perched pecking at seeds. Most turkeys bred for their meat are kept in windowless barns with some containing 20,000 birds. Mrs Scrooge pressed print. She planned to visit Marley's supermarket at four. Outside, snowier yet and cold, piercing, searching, biting cold. The cold gnawed noses just as dogs gnaw bones. It iced the mobile phones pressed tight to ears. The coldest Christmas Eve in years saw Mrs Scrooge at Marley's handing leaflets out. Shoppers staggered past, weighed down with bags or pushing trolleys crammed with breasts, legs, crowns, eggs, sausages, giant stalks of Brussels sprouts, carrots, spuds, bouquets of broccoli, mange tout, courgettes, petites, pois, foie gras, with salmon, stilton, pork pies, mince pies, Christmas pudding, custard, port, gin, sherry, whiskey, fizz and plonk, all done on credit cards. Most shook their heads at Mrs Scrooge, irked by her cry, find out how turkeys really die, or shoved her leaflets in the pockets of their coats unread, or laughed and called back, spoil sport, ho ho ho. Three hours went by like this. The snow began to ease as she walked home. She hated waste consumerism, Mrs Scrooge foraged in London parks for chestnuts, mushrooms, blackberries, ate leftovers, recycled, mended, passed on, purchased secondhand, turned the heating down, walked everywhere, drank tap water, used libraries, possessed a wind-up radio, switched off lights, lit candles, darkness is cheap and Mrs Scrooge liked it and would not spend one penny on a plastic bag. She passed off licences with six for five, bookshops with three for two. Above her head, the Christmas lights danced like a river towards a sea of dark. A national power grid moaned, endangered like a whale. The Thames flowed on as Mrs Scrooge proceeded on her way towards her rooms. Nobody lived in the building now, but her and all the other flats were boarded up. Whatever developers had offered Mrs Scrooge to move could never be enough. She liked it where she was, lurking in the corner of a yard, as though the house had run their young playing hide-and-seek and had forgotten the way out. She remembered her first Christmas there with Scrooge, the single stripy sweet he'd given her that year, and every year. But Scrooge was dead, no doubt of that, so why her key turning the lock did she see in the knocker Scrooge's face? His face to the life, staring back at her. With living grey-green eyes and opening metal lips, as Mrs Scrooge looked fixedly at this, it turned into a knocker once again. Up the echoing stairs to slippers, simple supper, candles, cocoa cat, went Mrs Scrooge, not scared but oddly comforted at glimpsing Scrooge's knockered face. But still, she double-locked the door, put on her dressing gown, and sat down by the fire to sip her soup. The fire was very low indeed, not much on a bitter night, so soon enough she went to bed. Nightcap bed socks, Scrooge's old pyjamas, hot water bottle, Cratchit's purr, and then her own soft snore. She dreamed of Scrooge, of Christmas past, of Christmas present, Christmas yet to come, dreams that seemed to trap her in a snowstorm bowl, newly married, ice skating with Scrooge, two necks in one long bright red woolly scarf, or hanging baubles on the tree, or being surprised by mistletoe, his kiss to the taste. But then her world was shaken violently, and she was kneeling by a grave, hearing a funeral bell. Midnight rang out from St Paul's, she gasped awake. The twice-locked door was open wide, and the room was filled with light, and smelled of tangerines and cinnamon and wine. A cheerful ghost perched and grinning on her bed, now like a child, now like a wise old man with silver hair and buried holly for a crown, and yet a shimmering dress trimmed with flowers. Good grief, said Mrs Scrooge, who the hell are you? The ghost squealed with delight and clapped its hands. A hard thing for a ghost to do, thought Mrs Scrooge. I am the ghost of Christmas past, it trilled, now rise and walk with me. It took her by the hand that flew through the bedroom wall. They stood at once, upon an open country road with fields on either side. The city had gone. 
Darkness too, a sparkling winter's day all blinged with frost. I know this place, cried Mrs. Scrooge. I grew up here. We're near the village of Heath Row. My family kept an orchard close to here. They walked along the road, Mrs. Scrooge recalling every gate and post and tree. That way, Hammondsworth, she told the ghost excitedly. Famous for Richard Cox, you know, who cultivated Cox's orange pippin. The merry ghost conjured an apple from the air. She crunched delightedly. That way, Longford Village. That way's the farm at Perry Oaks. And that way, Sipson Green. A laughing local bunch of lads ran by, and Mrs. Scrooge went red. I snogged that tall one once, she said. They're shadows, said the ghost. They have no consciousness of us. High in the sky, there came an aeroplane, rare enough to make the boys stand pointing at the endless generous air and yell out Merry Christmas to the plane. This is the past. It cannot come again, went on the ghost. It is the gift your soul gives your heart. Mrs. Scrooge stopped. Why show me this, she asked. Because, the ghost replied, Scrooge sends a message from the grave. Keep going, you shall overcome. No runway three, cried Mrs. Scrooge. The breath her words made like a ghost itself swooning, vanishing. But when she looked, the face of Christmas past bent down just like a lover stoops to steal a kiss. And then her lips were soft, salty, tasting tears her own. And then she woke at home and old and all alone. Not quite alone, for Cratchit dozed and snuggled at her feet, visions of Robin Redbreasts in his head. London's moon, the moon of Shakespeare, Dickens, Oscar, Virginia Woolf, shone down on theatres, banks, hotels, on palaces and doss houses and parks, on Mrs Scrooge, who lay wide-eyed in the dark. She heard a scrabbling noise inside the chimney breast and sat bolt upright in bed. Who's there? she said. Then, with a thumper flash, a figure in a crimson Santa suit glowed in the grate, as if the fire had taken human shape, and combed itself a beard from smoke. I am the ghost of Christmas present, boomed the ghost. Now rise and come with me. Before she knew it, Mrs. Scrooge sat in a sleigh, being pulled by reindeers through starry sky, tying a ribbon round the earth. The ghost of Christmas present, talking as they flew, naming oceans, forests, mountain ranges below. Until the Arctic Circle rose beneath like a moon. They landed, skidding on ice, in a percussion of sharp hooves and jingle bells. Tears like opals fell then froze on Mrs Scrooge's cheeks as she looked. She stood upon a continent of ice which sparkled between sea and sky, endless and dazzling, as though the world kept all its treasure there, a scale which balanced poetry and prayer. But then she heard a crackling, rumbling groan and saw huge icebergs carving from the flow into the sea, then further out a polar bear floating stranded on a raft of ice. The polar ice cap melting, said the ghost. Can mankind save it? Yes, we can, cried Mrs. Scrooge. We must. I bring encouragement from Scrooge's dust, replied the ghost. Never give up. Don't think one ordinary human life can make no difference, for it can. The reindeers steamed and snorted in the snow. Mrs. Scrooge stretched out a hand to one, stroking the warm, rough texture, which seemed to alter, soften, and to catch its fur. The North Pole vanished like a snuffed-out flame when she woke again. Old fool, said Mrs. Scrooge to herself. These are just dreams. She pulled her blankets up neath her chin and lay there worrying about large things and small. The wall flickered with strange shadows, shifting shapes, a turkey, then a bear, then a hooded form, which pointed at her silently until it swelled and stood and spoke. I am the ghost of Christmas yet to come. Rise now and follow me. It took her in its arms like a bride and flew her through a winter wood towards a clearing and an open grave around which mourners stood, then put her down. My family, said Mrs. Scrooge. There's Bob, and that's his lovely wife. There are my grandchildren, Peter, Martha, Tiny Tim. Look, they're dearest friends, the Fezziwigs. They're girls. Why are we here? Who died? The spirit pointed down to the grave. Mrs. Scrooge crept near and peeped into a wormy, loamy hole. She saw a cardboard coffin craned brightly with a name. 
cartooned with flowers, faces, animals. She turned. At once she stood beside the ghost, inside a huge and crowded room, her friends and family piling in. In came a fiddler with a music book, who started up a jig. Mrs Scrooge, who loved a whirl, restrained herself from dancing with the ghost. In came Mrs Fezziwig, one vast substantial smile, with a tray of homemade warm mince pies, saying she would have wanted it this way. In came the Fezziwig girls, with babies chuckling in arms. In came tall nephews, arm in arm with little ants. In came old comrades, with whom she'd marched in protest against every kind of harm. In they all came, aglow with life and possibility, old and young. Away they went, twenty couples all at once, gay and straight, down the middle, up and round again, the beaming fiddler trying to saw his instrument in half. There'd never been such a wake. More dancing, more music, someone sang, several shed tears, then mince pies, cake, mould, wine, cold beer, more wine, more beer. Then Mrs Scrooge heard a cheer, and there was Tiny Tim on a chair. There was a hush. A toast, cried Tiny Tim, to my grandmother, the best woman who ever was. She taught us all to value everything, to give ourselves to live as if each day was Christmas Day. Another cheer, and Mrs Scrooge's name rang out from everyone's lips. She seemed to float above them, all the bright familiar faces looking up, raised glasses in the air. She heard Bob say, she really had a wonderful life. The ghost of Christmas yet to come pulled back its hood. She looked into its smiling, loving, grey-green eyes and understood. Clash, clang, hammer, ding-dong, bell. Bell, dong, ding, hammer, clang, clash. It was St Paul's again, gargling its morning bells. The room her own, and dribbling Cratchit staring down at her from her chest. Quickly, Mrs Scrooge showered and dressed. She flung open the window and leaned out a clear, bright, jovial, cold and glorious day. A doorbell rang. Down she hurried, opened wide the door, and in they poured, taking stairs two at a time. Bob, Bob's wife, the grandchildren, the Fezziwigs, their girls, babies, partners, all shouting, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. What news they had. The credit crunch had forced property developers to sell empty flats below to the Fezziwig girls. So come New Year, all three were moving in. Hurrah, hurrah, what did Mrs Scrooge think of that? And would she babysit? Bob came grinning from the kitchen with a tray of glasses of Buck's Fizz. Mrs Fezziwig and Mrs Scrooge cuddled and wept with joy. And that delightful boy, Tiny Tim, called out, Here you are, Grandma, the sweet that Grandad gave you every Christmas that he lived, eh? Humbug! exclaimed Mrs. Scrooge. God bless us, everyone, cried Tiny Tim. Well, there may be a secret little music bonus episode out soon, but that's it for this festive season for my full episodes. But January is round the corner, as sad as that may be, and I'll be continuing this whole darn podcast throughout the whole year as ever. I'll have shorter episodes each month, all the way through the year, so I hope you stay listening. Or if you binge a bunch towards the end of the year, well, that's fine too, I suppose. Please do get in touch to let me know if you're having a Merry Britsmas. Are you eating Christmas pudding this year or not? Is it your favourite festive dessert? Do you cover it in ice cream or brandy butter? Are you a Partridge fan and watch the Knowing Me Knowing You all every year like me? If not, check it out and let me know what you think. I hope you all have a lovely festive season in whatever you do, whether it's chaotic and loud or calm and peaceful. Merry Christmas to you all. And happy blooming Christmas to you and all.